Hello and welcome to another edition of the Orders podcast. I'm your host Ben Sparks and today we are continuing with our digital transformation series with a focus on ServiceNow. Uh, the aim of the podcast is to interview some of the best and brightest leaders, executives and technical talent from across the ServiceNow ecosystem. Today we are very lucky to host Scott Thompson who is the VP of Business Customer Success at Roger Communications. Scott is a telecommunications executive based out of Toronto, has 25 years experience in the Canadian telecommunications industry, and has been mostly focused on operations, sales, and sometimes in the regulatory affairs side of the business. He's a highly accomplished and team builder with a proven experience directing cross-functional groups to achieve corporate objectives. These have included revenue growth, cost saving, effective service operations, and strategic program management. So, Scott, welcome. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much, Ben. Appreciate it and uh, happy to be here with you today. Definitely. Thank you. I'm based out of the US. You're obviously in, in Canada. For those that don't know Rogers already, can you give us an overview of the, the business? Rogers is one of Canada's leading telecommunications and media companies. We operate primarily in the field of wireless communications in cable television, telephony, and internet connectivity. But we also have very significant mass media assets, including television stations, radio stations, as well as we're the owners of uh, Major League Baseball's Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, You know, if you're a Canadian, you absolutely know who Rogers is. We provide services that are available to over 97% of Canada's population. For our your US listeners or your other listeners who, who might not be familiar with us, think about putting Verizon, Comcast and ESPN together, scale them for the Canadian market and, and you have Rogers. Wow, thank you for that lovely overview. So your role, let's talk about your current role and responsibilities. Break down VP business of customer success for me and and some of the things that entails. Rogers is serves both the the consumer as well as the business market. The company itself was grown as a cable service provider, one of the very first in Canada. And so we predominantly deliver wireless cable internet telephony services to consumer customers. That's under our, what we call the connected home organization. And what I do is lead the technical services and and customer service for our business customers. So there's another division inside Rogers that supports small, mid-size enterprise and government customers. And this is the more full range of what we would call traditional telecommunication services. So fiber-based services, WAN networks, unified communication services, data centers, cable-based internet, you name it. And for our business customers, of course, there's a different need there's a different requirement, there's a different sales cycle, there's just an entirely different market. So what I do in my present role is lead the technical customer service operations that support our business customers. And the best way to describe it is that if you are a business customer and you are enjoying Roger's services to help you manage and operate your business, if something isn't working right with that Roger service, it's up to my team to work with you to make sure that it's resolved so that you can get back to the business of managing your own enterprise. 
So when you look at your career at Rogers, you've obviously um, moved up from directorship to vice president. If you were to look back over that five and a half years, what have been some of the milestones or tipping points or prominent sort of moves that you made internally at the organization? Yeah, the, my experience at Rogers has been really extraordinary. Like it, it, the Rogers is a very large company. However, it has the entrepreneurial spirit still invested in the organization from our founder. He was a gentleman by the name of Ted Rogers. And and Ted Rogers was in Canadian business. He's a giant. He created cable services. He acquired radio stations at a very early age. He grew the Rogers business from his own vision. And he was always you know, first to market with innovation and so competitive, so competitive and really was an iconoclast. And his legacy still is absolutely part of the culture inside Rogers. So I think that the, my first experience working as I did leading the solution architect organization inside Rogers. So this was all of the pre-sales engineers that work with account teams to create dynamic solutions for our business customer. That entrepreneurial environment was a little bit, I call it maybe sometimes overwhelming uh, when I joined. And I say, I'd say the first milestone was really just swimming in the current of a very large organization that had more capital intensity that I was used to and more brand power, certainly, than I was used to. And just being a part of the success in a sales organization, delivering services under the Rogers banner, it was a thrill, I have to tell you. It was working for smaller companies without necessarily the name recognition. I, I wasn't fully prepared to experience the dynamic of being a, a senior leader inside the Rogers brand. And it, it changed the, the approach that I took to how I led my teams, how I represented our solutions in front of our customers. And I'd say the first milestone was really just, as I say, being successful, swimming in that current and, and being dynamic enough with the approach to not to be too intimidated by, by the scope of that change. I would say the, the tipping point was when I, I, I took on my present role, which was just about three years ago. I've always been predominantly an operations leader in my career. I've done work in, in solution architecture and sales, as well as in regulatory affairs, as you mentioned. But you know, operations is really where I cut my teeth, and it's where I had my first leadership experiences where I was responsible for an entire operating division including its uh, P&L as well as its all of the customer experience. Being able to lead the technical services teams that support our business customers, again, I'd say that was a, a tipping point for me because I, I think about the scale, right? Like it's an, an essential service for sure. When you think about wireless communication, when I think about all of the, the wire internet that we deliver to our customers, if something goes wrong, with those services, we're, our customers are in trouble, right? They rely on what we deliver to them as much as they rely, rely on electricity. And so just given the expansiveness of our customer base, our presence in the market and the services, the mission critical essential services that we deliver, I think taking on that leadership role of my teams was an extraordinary moment and uh, it's been a great experience improving services that we deliver to our customers and to just to be 
accountable for that level of, of infrastructure that supports Canadian enterprises. Uh, agree and I can imagine especially over the last 18 months effectively you can be very proud to look back on you guys have kept as well as a number of other organizations obviously but kept the world connected and that is a big responsibility so I can imagine you're very proud of that I don't know if that's I know that we're going a little bit off script here but if that's something that you've seen change internally over the last 18 months that the beginning of the the COVID pandemic, when it really hit home in, in Canada, it did, I'd say, around mid-March of, of last year. And we were doing what we were doing, as, as every other organization was, watching things happen across the globe and listening to the council of our various government agencies about preparations that needed to be taken to keep the pandemic at bay. But then like everywhere, it happened and it happened fast. And I remember quite literally um, talking about plans and strategies of how we could enter into a hybrid working environment for our operations teams on a Thursday and coming into work the next day and giving the getting the directive that we were not to return to work on the Monday. And so it was that fast where, where all of our internal operations had to convert from being in, in the office inside the work center space to managing completely uh, at home. And it wasn't just our organization, it was every other organization uh, across the country. And what that meant for my operation was just an incredible challenge. I'd say that lasted about eight weeks where the telecommunication infrastructure was being utilized in a way that it wasn't designed to. So if you think about, you had all of these high bandwidth solutions that were in place to support enterprises working from their place of business. And those places of business were no longer operating. People were not going to those central um, locations to conduct their business. They were working at home. So they're much more distributed, but the telephony infrastructure, especially the intercarrier infrastructure, was not designed to support that new way of operation. So there, there was a period where the performance to, let's say, wireless customers, for example, it wasn't great for a few weeks beginning in that early March. Nothing because of what was wrong with our network or Bell Canada's network or AT&T's network. It was just that the intercarrier chunking, the intercarrier connections that allow Rogers wireless customers to call Bell Canada or a Verizon customer and get through seamlessly, those facilities uh, were congested. So what we did collectively as an industry was respond to that and we built and modernized the kind of interconnection facilities that allowed traffic to, to flow um, unimpeded. And I got to tell you, Ben, it was something that would never, ever have been done were it not for the global pandemic coming into effect. And, and that's when I think, again, we realized just how essential and critical the services that we deliver are. And it really brought home for myself and, and for my extended team the nature of our work as professionals and that it's it's critical that we approach our roles as individuals that are helping Canadians as well as our, our global customers operate effect. We couldn't have anticipated it, but the, the pandemic and all of the preparations that needed to be done to 
continued to remain productive actually created a, what I call a, a cultural catalyst that really changed our environment. I could not have anticipated it, but we came through those first eight weeks a different organization and a stronger organization and a much more dynamic and proud organization. And certainly not something that we would want to repeat, but it allowed us to be strong and to do great. We spoke about your career pre and post Rogers. If you were to summarize some of the key learns, and you've already touched on a few, but I'd love to know what you've learned over that last sort of 25 years. Yeah, thanks for that uh, question. It's a great opportunity to reflect. I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that good intentions and hard work and being present account for a lot. And, and you don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to be the most dynamic personality to be an effective leader. And what you really have to do is be willing to be present and accountable for the situations that you've signed yourself up for. And and I think that's the biggest learning. Like I've taken on some challenging roles early in my career and there was some sleepless nights. There was a lot of stress. There was a lot of self-talk that wasn't probably the most positive at times. I don't know if you can ever truly navigate your way through that, because I think those experiences are part of what make you stronger and what make you to, to be, I guess, have a more balanced perspective on things as, as you have years. But what I think I learned most explicitly is that people want you to do well. And if you accept their counsel, coaching, feedback, objectively and with an open mind, your path towards confidence is going to be a lot easier and you'll get there a lot faster. So that's what I would say is the biggest learning is just let your abilities catch up with your ambitions. Challenge yourself to be always taking the kind of next step and and people will want you to be succeed and they'll help you. So looking at ServiceNow specifically, everyone I speak to seems to have a, a different story about how they either got introduced or how they're now working with ServiceNow. How did you get introduced to ServiceNow as a platform? I've always known about ServiceNow, working in telecommunications, work center environments. I always knew the organization to be the standard bearer, especially in spaces that I've been working in, which is with service assurance environments. I didn't utilize the the tool or the platform in my career at Allstream. But in coming into Rogers, it was interesting because I had accountability for all of our network services and topologies. So our, our wireless teams, our wireline teams, cable teams, and data center teams. But only our wireless team was working out of service now. Our wireline teams are all of the teams that support fiber and cable-based services. We're working on a different platform. And, and we converted those teams to ServiceNow in, I'd say, within six months of my arrival in the new job. And what I came to through my introduction with that platform, that it was going to be the catalyst that could bring my teams together. It's funny because I have these disparate groups that primarily do the same function, post-implementation, technical customer service, but because they were segregated by the distinction of the networks that they supported, 
the teams did not necessarily collaborate with each other. There, there was nothing that would have throughout their normal course of the day brought these teams together to collaborate. But when we all came on with the same platform, which was ServiceNow, the wall started to come down. And it was a very natural progression for our teams to see the commonality of their experiences as opposed to the differences. And now we have uh, common incident problem and change practices that are wholly driven out of the ITSM framework that's out of the box within ServiceNow. So we have those common practices that shape and guide our, our, our processes for all of our service structures. And, and I think that's what's been the greatest value that the utilizing the platform has been. We, we talked a little bit about the, the pandemic before. I know that there was a big digital transformation. There still is a big digital transformation effort in general, even you know outside of specific platforms in the telecommunications industry. I'd love to know a little bit more about some of the more macro trends that you're seeing and feeling that are driving the desire and the need to, to sort of embrace digital transformation in, in telco. This is the big challenge for telcos, isn't it? I, I think what I'll what I call the conversion from our legacy operating environments to post-internet environment where we have companies that have now scaled <laughs> that didn't exist 20 years ago, 10 years ago, yep. in some cases five years ago. We our competition has always been people that look and feel and have the same history as us which includes the same legacy infrastructure, which includes the same capital challenges, which includes the same go-to-market strategies. And telecommunications companies globally are now facing competitive challenges from uh, organizations that just flat out did not exist. And, and it's felt most explicitly, especially in areas that, that I've been working in, is that difference between a legacy operating environment versus a complete post-internet digital one. And everyone is familiar with uh, the service experiences that uh, Amazon can deliver, for example. I think they're constantly and rightfully identified as a standard bearer for a digital customer experience. And this is what our customers compare us to and you can say all you like that it's not fair and that we don't have the same kind of uh, opportunity to start from scratch to create our quote cash processes but it really doesn't matter in, in the end of the day our customers are looking at their business experiences and they're expecting uh, the same kind of efficiencies, the same kind of options to engage as they do as consumers. And the challenge, I think, for telcos is to is to not only build, but to convert. And and I think that's the difference. It, and don't get me wrong, I know it's hard to build. It's very challenging to build out a, a complete scaled operating infrastructure. But I would hazard to say that it's more challenging to convert from something that is operable and that needs to sustain its operating capabilities while you make that conversion. 
and and that's what we're going through and that's what every other organization that was in business in a pre-internet world is is going through and has gone through so looking at ServiceNow specifically, obviously telecommunications was a, a large part of the knowledge conference and we're seeing so much about some of the more industry-led solutions and that the ServiceNow is bringing to market. I'd love to know your views and appreciate the, just your views on some of the highlights of ServiceNow's industry, telco industry product line, and also maybe how that dovetails in with some of the, the challenges you've just mentioned. I, I think that ServiceNow has done an extraordinary job of not just remaining uh, current, but actually being the wedge that allow organizations like myself to leapfrog into a post-legacy operating environment. And what I mean by that is they have created such a flexible, out-of-the-box, complete ITSM framework that is version-controlled in, in, I'd say, a pretty accelerated schedule that allows you to take out the customization. So it's, it's very possible, and it, wouldn't, it wasn't like this, let's say 10 years ago, it's very possible to take a, an established business process, an established operation, and completely alter it to comply with the standards that are established out of the framework that is out of the box with ServiceNow. And I think what that does is allows you to reinvent much faster than you could. And as, was, as well, it allows you to avoid the development mistakes that are common where you convert to a new operating environment, but all you've really done is forklifted your old processes because that's where the comfort is. And you've created a different look and feel to essentially do the same thing that you've always so what I appreciate about ServiceNow is that they, they're absolutely taking on the, what I would call the wedge accountability for disrupting and advancing workflow progress. And if you're an organization like myself, that all that means is that I don't have to invest in the developers and the, the business process experts to create that in-house. And as a result, we avoid the challenge of custom development, which is, quite frankly, no fun for anybody and very right. rarely successful at scale. And it just allows you to just stay current with the releases and advance your capabilities and focus on what you can, which is your people. It's, I, I have to tell you, it's just it's the work that we've done inside my team to alter our trajectory as well as our approach conceptually uh, with customers wouldn't be possible if we didn't have that common framework that allows us to do it. And do you mind sharing some of the success stories or use cases that you've worked on so far? And I'm you know, really interested in the value that you're seeing from the platform. I touched a little bit about this at, at my talk at the Knowledge Conference, but we, what we did utilizing ServiceNow was created a, an approach to service assurance that is based on the concept of immediacy, right? So this notion that a, if a customer has a technical service issue, then you have to meet them in their moment, right? You have to create the engagement processes for your teams to deliver that customer with an immediate reassurance that you are going to help them 
And so a big part of that is reducing the amount of time as well as the amount of effort that it takes to engage directly with the customer when there's an issue. So one of the big innovations that we've implemented, and I recognize that this is not uh, an innovation across the industry, but we've implemented proactive event management capabilities for our fiber-based and cable services. So through our own development using open source code, we have a, a tool that monitors both the syslogs as well as all of the traditional performance metrics of internet modems and, and fiber-based modems for jitter, packet loss, latency, etc. So when we see that there is some threshold of performance that is looking like it could lead to a customer degradation, we utilize the auto event generation module inside ServiceNow open up a ticket and begin the diagnostics. In, in many instances, since we've launched this capability, we have actually transformed into what I would call a preventative organization because by heightening and tightening the calibration of the performance threshold, we're able to see statistics wouldn't necessarily contribute to a customer reported issue but they might be seeing a little bit of a lag time issue. And we see that as a packet loss representation. And we can now begin to fix that packet loss many times before the customer is even uh, aware that there could be a problem. They certainly haven't called us. And, and what that's meant for us is that we've reduced our ticket volume. So like uh, the daily influx of reported service issues by 41%, I'd say, over the past 15 months. Wow. And so what that's really done for us is just reduced our workload, reduced our drivers. We're operating under a much cleaner, highly functioning customer edge network, and that's given our teams just a completely different outlook on what they can accomplish as technicians. And so that certainly has been a big I'll call it innovation on how we use ServiceNow. The other piece, which has just been hugely successful for us, is we do operational stand-up calls twice a week. So on Tuesdays at 10 o'clock and Friday at 10 o'clock, myself, my directors, and all of our operations managers and key technicians, we get on a bridge and we look at the real-time performance reports that tell us exactly what's happening in our operation at that moment. So we see our service levels from our inbound contact centers. We look at the volume of, of tickets by their disposition that have come in that morning. We look at a dashboard to understand if any of what we call our white glove customers. So these would be hospitals, police stations, government agencies, banks, customers that are, are strategic for us. We look and understand if there's anything that is happening from an incident perspective with them. We talk about upcoming network change activity uh, at that session, and we uh, just go through a roundtable where anyone and everyone can speak to what's happening at that moment. And, and the concept behind the stand-up calls is that if you can mobilize your operating teams twice a week, to have an in-depth conversation that's data-driven. 
right? This is not speculation. This is not opinion. This is what the data is telling us right now. Then you can perform that same function as a proxy throughout the day, every day, seven by 24. And it's just, again, created that shift in our culture from being yeah, a reactive organization that waits through the traditional inbound call, tier one, tier two, tier three progression until someone fixes it to something that is much more dynamic. And we utilize ServiceNow essentially as the, as the driver of those customer-centric data dashboards. And uh, the power of those dashboards and the fact that they are updated real time just allows us to work much more in what I would call again, that immediate moment. In, in my space, traditionally, the metric that we have been evaluated on has been what we call MTTR, so mean time to repair. And this is usually what's been stenciled into customer contracts and operational reports. And if you think about the inadequacy of that metric it, it, compared to how we're operating today based on what ServiceNow can help us with, it's extraordinary because the MTTR is it's a lagging indicator and it is something that tells you how you've performed in previous reporting periods and it does nothing to tell you about what's happening right now. So I, I talk to my team sometimes and say that these legacy operational metrics that have defined telecom providers for a long time, it's akin to driving your car down a highway looking in the rearview mirror. You, you can stay in the lane because right. <laughs> you, you can see where you've been and you can make some kind of you know, uh, gradual changes to the wheel and your direction when you see that you're outside the lane, but you don't see what's ahead of you and you certainly can't plan for the future. So I, I think those two things, Ben, the proactive event that's all driven through uh, ServiceNow as well as our, our tool that allows us to do the, the, the proactive monitoring, plus the, the custom customer-based reporting dashboards that allow us to stop what we're doing, get in the moment of discussing the operation and creating that, that environment of, of proactive and interventionist action has made a, a huge difference. I love the rearview mirror analogy, and I'm sure it resonates with a lot of different, a lot of people across different businesses as well. But I'm sure you can pivot a lot quicker when you're looking forward. And I'm really happy to hear that it's bringing that value to the business. Obviously, you've gone through this journey with ServiceNow, and I'm, I'm sure it is still going on, uh, and it will probably keep going on. But if you're looking back from an implementation perspective, what advice would you give to someone to get as close as possible to a quote-unquote successful implementation and I know that they never run perfectly but what would be your key nuggets of advice? Yeah I think uh, what's been successful for us is we've been fortunate to have on staff a small but very nimble development team and they've been homegrown if I can be frank they, they, we, we didn't necessarily have to recruit for talent that specialized in ServiceNow implementations from a professional services perspective like th these are people that were already employed in our environment as technicians that are following their own career path where they 
understand the technical elements of the services that we deliver. They're familiar with our operating processes and they're just happen to be by inclination and experience developers. And what they've been able to do is just really drill down and focus and be able to do version controls, to do migrations, to do API integrations from service desk to service desk environments. And uh, so that, that would be my biggest recommendation is if you work in a technical environment and if you're certainly utilizing ServiceNow in a telecommunication space, I guarantee you that you have people on staff that are so inclined is give them latitude, find them, take them out of what they're doing and give them latitude in their job and their day to just play. And they will create their own in-house expertise that's able to navigate. And of course, introduce them to the ecosystem. Like mm-hmm. ServiceNow just has so much. This is one of the companies that does, I think, global interconnection really well. The The Knowledge Conference is a, is a good example. It's inclusive. It was topically relevant and interesting and it did not come from the vantage point of the uh, platform it was all about the user experience inside the platform so it was i found the, the conference as well as just ServiceNow's um, approach to be really inclusive and uh, there that's how they get the adaptation right uh, for their customer base what's been helpful for us is finding those key diamonds in your team that have that inclination to be developers, introduce them to the ecosystem, give them latitude in their role to develop, and and then let them loose. And we've been able to sustain what I would call a pretty independent development environment that allows us to keep on board with all the latest versions, that allows us to expand utilization of the tool through licensing and uh, and introduction, allows us to do API connections with other uh, partners and customers, and um, allows us to unpack it, the full capabilities of the platform and introduce them to our operating environments through uh, real solid work process. It sounds like your team probably have a lot of fun getting there as well. So that's uh, it's amazing to hear that you've got that, given that kind of creative freedom. We talk, when embarking on transformation change, there's a lot of talk about executive level sponsors. And obviously, value is something that they'll be looking at through any product that's becoming becoming forefront of the business. When you look specifically at delivering exceptional customer experience through transformational change, talk to me a little bit more about that. What are the things that are front of mind for you? I believe that it's the executive sponsor's role to deliver what the operating vision looks like in a way that's, what I'll say, contextually relevant to the people that will be the recipients of the change. There there has to be a, a relevant, purposeful statement that intones a, an end state that that executive that executive sponsor can see it, and it can't just be talk about operational efficiencies and all of those things like that those might be what your finance person the person that's going to give you the capital to invest in these transformation activities that's what they might be interested in but the sponsor needs to be attuned to 
the operating dynamics that exist today and to cultivate interest in the transformation by their description of how it's going to look when it's completed. So there's there has to be some intimacy, right, that leader has, whether that is earned or whether that is through a, a rapid understanding of talking to people. I think that's really critically important because these transformation programs are not easy, as everybody knows. And it's not going to take as long as it's, it's, it's not going to be as completed as fast as you'd like. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be resistance. And you have to somehow keep teams of people motivated to get through the hard times before they see any. And there's persistence that comes through what you go back to, which is your message about what the future state is going to look like as it's going to be experienced by your stakeholders, which in this case is your employees. And we've seen the platform grow so much in the telecommunications realm. Just in your view, what do you feel that the future holds for service now, just generally in the telecommunications industry? And I'm, I'm thinking really, how, is the, how do you feel the platform's going to evolve to embrace all the challenges? Because it's a very complex business you're in. Yeah, it is. And I think ServiceNow, my experience with them, and, and I don't think I'm incorrect here, is they've been successful building up an ITSM framework in what I would call a post-implementation environment. So they are the standard bearer when it comes to incident problem change management practices. And I think their opportunity as an organization is to expand that same workflow module rigor into the, the pre-sales quote cash environment. They have some big competitors in that space that have started there. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. And and I think there's going to be a point where there's going to be a, an inflection point, right, where both of those large companies are going to compete in spaces that for the most part they've not competed in. And that's going to be the challenge. And at a certain point, as the modules grow in their sophistication, and the use cases grow in their proliferation, there will be an opportunity for a single platform that allows large enterprises to manage customer experience, customer data from beginning to end all in one. I don't think they're fully there yet. I don't think the market is ready to reward that kind of ubiquity at this time, but certainly that's the growth opportunity from the outside looking in. That's at least what I see. Wow, that is very exciting. Scott, you've given us so much here. I think this has been a, a, such an insightful and authentic conversation, and I also love the analogies you've used. I'm going to use a few of those myself moving forward as well. Yeah, just to close up, what would be the advice to your younger self if you had to summarize and go back and do it all again to you? To, to a younger Scott. I think just to, to have the faith, right, that you put yourself in positions that are stressful and it's for a reason because you have the ambition and the desire to lead and make a difference and work in, on interesting things at interesting times. And, and I would say just ride it out and people are not there to scrutinize you, they're there to help you. And uh, however as bad as it, it feels, it's, it's not permanent. 
and uh, I'd go a little bit easier on myself. Give yourself an easier time and just swim with the current. I think so. Very hard advice to take. Easy to give. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, isn't it? It's easy to give it in, in the moment. It's a very different thing. So that's good. awesome. Anything else you'd like to add before we close off, Scott? I uh, know not at all, Ben. I just want to thank you for the opportunity, and uh, it's a great chance to to talk about the changing environments that we work in, and again, just call a little bit of attention to the our collective use of ServiceNow as a platform. It's been a great experience. Indeed, thank you so much, and again, thanks for all the effort you put into this. Really appreciate it.